What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Today, we're going to be shining a light on executive abuse and effectively, how can HR manage up? Hi, everyone. I'm CT. I'm co-founder of Engage Rocket and co-host of the HR Impact podcast. To help us address this issue today is Kim Williams. Kim is the Vice President of People at Walker Advertising, and we're very privileged to have her join us today on the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Tell us a little bit more about what the Vice President of People at Walker Advertising does. A little bit of everything. We're a smaller company, so we almost have a little bit of a startup slash kind of family feel where we all get to know each other a little bit. So we provide support for helping maintain a positive culture. We do a lot with employee relations, classifying jobs and working on compensation programs and generally just taking care of our people. Tell me a little bit about the business uh, of Walker Advertising. What, what is it that you guys do and uh, how does that play in with the people element? I'm very proud to work for this company. Uh, we were founded 40 years ago by an amazing woman. She was a court reporter and she was working in LA and she was just seeing that a lot of folks that were either new to the country or through language barriers weren't doing very well in our legal system. So she started an informal network of Spanish speaking attorneys to help folks that she would run into in her job. And it really just blossomed into this big business that was well known in LA and then in California. And she retired out a couple of years ago. And then since then, we've been working to go nationwide and working in the English market as well to really just help people access justice and make sure that folks can get legal representation without any upfront costs. That's such a strong mission driving the organization. Do you find that when it comes to hiring and when it comes to even promoting and, and just rallying the troops, that mission continues to drive a lot of the talent conversations that you have internally? We lead with that. When we go out and we talk about like our value proposition as an employer, we find that resonates with a lot of people and they'll speak to that when they're applying with us. We'll ask them what attracted you to our company and they'll talk specifically about that mission. And I know it feels good for me personally, and I know I've heard from a lot of employees that there is a sense of pride and, and that your contribution has meaning. I remember that in our earlier conversation and thinking how unusual it is, that mission that you guys have and how much it must resonate for people in the organization. Yeah, it's really great to hear. But today, we're going to be talking about how that applies in in HR, actually. So I think you're now living in a in an organization that has allowed you to move away from executive abuse in the past. And maybe talk a little bit more about that and how that has undermined your efforts at work in the past and the kind of impact that it's had on you. Part of what we were just talking about a little bit with the, the social justice component, and it, it has definitely attracted a lot of people with just big hearts and very kind people that work at our company. And, and it was definitely one of the things that had also attracted me and that I really love is, is the people. 
And I think we all like that in general, but I was especially keen on an environment like that because in my last position, I, I worked in an environment that was perhaps like one of the most toxic environments I had ever worked with in my entire life. And I was working in this role as the head of HR and I was reporting up to a top executive and it was an incredibly hostile environment. There was a lot of harassment and for the first time in my career, I found myself in a place where I was a little bit alone, that the resources we can normally count on and that we're supposed to be able to count on, whether it's HR, weren't available to me. I couldn't open an investigation with that being my shop. And then some of the internal support, whether it was members of the board or inside counsel that we can normally rely on as a backup, also weren't completely interested in addressing this issue. And so I found myself in a challenging spot where I had to figure things out a little bit on my own. It doesn't sound like something that's very uncommon. So in your experience, do you see this a lot in other organizations? Like many of our listeners are in HR. Do you think they, they could be going through something like this as well? I know just from years of working in this field on private chats, private groups that I've heard many heartbreaking stories from folks who work in HR that genuinely care about people but aren't empowered in their positions, or I think a lot of people don't realize they're dealing with a lot of retaliation themselves where they're trying to advocate for themselves or others. And typically, if you've got chief executives who aren't concerned about a toxic environment, they typically aren't that concerned about HR as well. Sometimes it's, I can imagine that you step into a toxic environment, not intentionally, obviously, but over time, your first 30, 60, 90 days, you start, it starts creeping up on you that maybe this is not the right kind of place. What do you normally see when it comes to responding to such an environment? I do think folks see it pretty quickly. I think we all see it pretty quickly. I think what comes next can vary from person to person. And I think from years of talking to folks where they felt like they weren't supported from HR and I followed behind somebody who had been with my organization for a number of years who I know that this individual knew what was going on and just opted to ignore it. I think sometimes folks may go into a bit of survival mode and they're just trying to keep their head down and try to navigate the backlash themselves. But for me, that's not how I prefer to engage in situations like that. I think it is HR's job to go in there and have those hard conversations, even if it feels high risk. And I've dealt with a number of high risk situations where I absolutely felt like I was putting my head on a chopping block. But for me, if I'm in the room and I know something's wrong and I don't say something, I just can't live with that. We're now trading my integrity and, and that's more painful for me personally than what may happen with my job. I can imagine that must be really difficult to do, especially if you're new to the role and you realize, oh no, this is not the right kind of place for me. Once you make that realization, whether it's early in the job or whether a new boss has just come in and you realize there's a little bit of that toxicity, what do you recommend as the first thing that should be done for, for HR? You... As best you can, small conversations are easier than big conversations. Sometimes we really psych ourselves out when we're waiting for something and we can build things up in our mind. Trying to keep it minor, trying to stay emotionally flat with something. I know at a different organization, I was relatively new and I heard a board member make some racist remarks that weren't okay. And afterwards, I went and knocked on the door and just right off the bat say, hey, I think we need to have a conversation about this. And it kept myself just, we're talking about the weather. I'm not going to try and trigger this person or make this more charged than it has to be. But 
I was sending a million signals in that moment of this is who I am. This is what I stand for. And I'm not going to look the other way in these kinds of environments and just setting that boundary or that marker. How, how did that leader respond in that situation? In that situation, they were shocked and sad and very apologetic. That's not normal. I would say more times than not, I'm dealing with anger or I'm dealing with folks who aren't used to being challenged. But I can say in that instance, that individual was very remorseful. It sounds like that was a, a successful case of being able to actually reach an executive, help them to moderate their behavior in, in the future. But in many cases, as you say, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of defensiveness. There's this wall that just goes up and says, what do you mean I'm being... How have you dealt with that? In HR, we, we all know we have to deliver a lot, of, a lot of bad news. and It just depends on who you're dealing with. And obviously, it's a different dynamic when, say... You're telling an employee who may be terminated, who's not in your shop, who's not someone that you're really having to engage with on a regular basis. It's a low, lower risk environment. It may be very uncomfortable for everyone, but when you're managing up, it, it does get more complicated and it can feel more intense. And I have had situations where people have threatened my jobs or they've threatened to come after me or all kinds of things that were absolutely retaliatory. And I think the bottom line in either case, it's still an inside job. And so when I wake up that morning and I know that's going to have to happen that day, I'm listening to music that puts me in a good frame of mind. I'm taking a little bit of quiet time before I go in there just to really ground myself, center myself. A lot of times when I go in, I don't anticipate on talking a lot. A lot of times people know what the conversation is about. And so I'll just look people directly in the eye. I'll keep things flat. I'll keep things even. I'll deliver whatever news that I have to say. And then I just go quiet and I just observe. And then if somebody is being really intense or emotional, I continue to stare at them. I let them spool out. And then when they're done, I say, okay, would you like to talk about next steps? I'm just picking up on one of the things that you mentioned earlier, where most of the time the leader already knows what this is going to be about. And yet they're defensive and upset and getting mad at you for calling it out. Have you seen cases where you've successfully managed to take them from that frame of mind to one where they're like, okay, I get it now. I'm going to moderate my behavior. I need to keep this under control. I would say actually a majority of the time that ends up working out. And, and I think because part of what you're doing when you're just holding space, when you're being flat, you're separating the person from the problem a little bit and it, it it creates a little bit of a boundary and still some psychological safety. I try to always in every conversation protect people's dignity, even in moments where they may not be protecting it themselves. By holding that space and not appearing judgmental, it lets you move on from there in a million different ways. And so a lot of times once people spool out or calm down and they're on the other side of that kind of initial knee-jerk reaction, they can get a little bit more open. And then sometimes we just have a short conversation there and then we circle back. And I know that this is going to be a little bit of a process and we're going to walk through that process together. And so it really just gets into ripping that bandaid off and, and saying, look, you're being held accountable. This may be new for you. This may be tough for you, but this is happening. So let's go ahead and process the emotion and then let's start figuring out what we're going to do next to solve this. A lot of times it may not be quite as devastating as they think it is going to be initially. In your experience, what have you found to be maybe the most common abuses that you'd see from executives that you found yourself having to step in and run an intervention? A lot of it comes with unconscious bias. And I think 
these get into really deep spaces about who am I? And so if you're calling attention to something that is racist, is sexist, is some of these things, that can be very triggering for folks who want to believe that they're good people or they may have something in mind when they think about those words and they don't want to be associated with that. And so you'll, it will draw out a lot of knee-jerk reactions. And then also, too, all of that anger that, that may come at you is really just fear underneath. It's fear of what this may mean about their identity. It's fear of some type of exposure, loss, risk. And so it's, I think anything around those things, I think is really the most common thing that is coming to my mind right now. When do you find that you have to step in? Where, where do you draw the line on when you feel HR needs to actually step in? Anytime there's an injury, quite frankly. Like I would have stepped in in that instance. If an employee would have come to me, I would have felt an obligation to go and reach out to that leader. And, and I see it as a big part of our job as like head of HR is to also be the safe space for the leaders. It can be very lonely in these jobs. A lot of times they aren't getting feedback or they're trying to grapple with things that they feel like they can't discuss with others. And so giving them that very silent space where they know they can come to you to work out issues without it leaving the room is also really important. I definitely would reach out and say, I think we need to chat about this. Break this down. Tell me what was your side of this? Why do you think that was necessary? And then start asking them probing questions like, would you like to work for someone who did this for you? Or, and a lot of times they have, and that's why they think it's okay. And how did this feel? Do you think folks today will still be loyal to us? Do you think that this is good for our reputation as an employer? And start drawing it out and you know, trying to get them to examine it from other points of view to show that it can have an impact and that it's beyond them and that it may be damaging for the company. I wish I had more HR leaders like you in, in, in those days. What, what do you think... How do you think HR can prepare themselves for these conversations? Because typically once, a, once an incident happens, it becomes a little bit of incident management response. But are there, anything, uh, are there any things that HR can do proactively to, to either prevent these things or to prepare better for when they do happen? You should be building relationships all the time. Pre-pandemic, I used to have a thing about coffee. If I started with a new organization, I'd go to every leader and I'd invite them to coffee. And I used to love to walk. I would go to people's offices. I would you know, see pictures of their family. I'd ask them about them. I'd ask them about their dog. I would try and get to know them as human beings so that if at any point I did have to go and have a tough conversation around feedback, that I had already engaged with them at a different level, that, that some part of them could hopefully feel like I saw their humanity, saw them as human beings, so that we can sit down next to each other and look at this problem together and see what we can both do to try and come up with a win for everyone. And so in particular, I think all the way up to the top of your organization, engaging as frequently as you can, earning that trust, creating that buy-in, and I'm so fortunate now to work for an organization where I do have that trust of the CEO. So the second I get a phone call where there has been any type of injury at all, I already know I have the support. So I can reach out to that individual and say, okay, we need to talk about this. You actually have come up with a framework that, that helps HR and, and has helped you proactively manage this aspect of work. Do you mind sharing that with our listeners? It's the fear not framework is what I've come up with. F being the easiest of this acronym to remember, it's fear. And I think it's, it's terribly important to acknowledge this. Anything that is getting into 
a threat to your job, particularly at the higher levels that you get into, can feel almost downright life-threatening. And by going in and acknowledging that and treating it like the serious event it is, I think you give yourself permission for self-care, for support, for things like that, which you're really going to need. And then E is really looking at the entire story. Sometimes when we're dealing with employee relations or discipline issues, it could just be you actually have a really good person who's just gone through some private issue that they need a little bit more support for and you're able to get to, get to the bottom of it entirely. If not, and this is just a power imbalance and a difficult situation where you know, someone is being abusive and you're not likely to change that, you want to start making sure that you're keeping a log of all the events tied to that and making sure you're capturing everything, the times, the dates of these interactions, making sure that you're noting who was present and sticking to the kind of the just the facts, ma'am, of whatever is happening and keep that log ongoing. So just make sure you're constantly tracking on that. A and fear not is to articulate your story. Part of the reason why it's great to have a log like that is because it can help you take the emotion out of it. And it can be very difficult to do that in moments where we are afraid or we're intimidated or we're worried about backlash or retaliation. And so the more we can show up with calm, no matter what we feel like on the inside, and clearly articulate that, hey, something pretty serious has happened. This is a violation of our policy. This is something that we've addressed in other cases. And then it's impacting me can really go a long way in terms of how people respond to you, particularly if things get into really messy kind of legal situations. R, I use for resolve. Anyone who's ever worked in HR knows that when you're dealing with things at this level or you're getting into investigations or workplace misconduct, it can take a bit of time and it can be really difficult to endure a process that's supposed to be slow and thoughtful and protective of everyone but making sure that you're mentally setting yourself up for a potentially long process. And so that's fear. And then the not piece is in for really navigating the investigation, making sure that you're keeping those logs because it can be incredibly helpful in terms of communicating what you need to the investigator, allowing them to move on to other individuals, to substantiate your allegations and to back up your story. And then O is the outcome. In a lot of cases I have seen where organizations have two sets of rules. If a low-ranking person, say an hourly janitor, breaks the rules, they may be fired on the spot. If a high-ranking executive does it, they may get an executive coach. And so being prepared for that possibility is really significant. A lot of organizations are incentivized for liability purposes to try and downplay the amount of damage as much as possible. And so you really want to protect yourself. And this is usually the, the point where you may want to even look at engaging with an attorney, which I've done, in order to make sure that you're covered if something like this happens. And then last is to talk about this. A lot of folks, when they set a lot of agreements like this, when you're dealing with executive abuse, there can be situations with NDAs. I've signed NDAs. But nevertheless, I think that there's ways to break apart the specifics of your particular circumstances with the general climate that's out there. Millions of people have been affected by this. And the more we talk about how to really engage in this space, the better off I think we all are. I, I love how easy it is to remember fear not uh, framework and each of them. Uh, we're going to put them all in, in a summary within the show notes so that our listeners will be able to access that easily. Yeah, thank you. I think one of the things about your approach that I really admire, actually, is because is how you're both 
quite empathetic, not just to the victim that has suffered the abuse, but also to the executive who is obviously coming from a place that, that we need to empathize with before we can connect with them and lead them in, in a different direction. And at the same time, that strength that you bring to the table in holding that space for, for the organization, for the individual and for the executive, I think that's something that we all could learn something from, from today's lesson. So thank you so much for sharing. If people want to find you to learn more about your experiences in this area, what's the best way for them to do? So LinkedIn, I'm a, a, an old fuddy-duddy. I'm, I'm not on anything else, but I, it wasn't that long ago that I really became quite active on LinkedIn and I admire it so much right now. There's a lot of incredible people on there that are really calling out executive abuse in ways I've never seen. Gen Z is just amazing. Um, and I, I tell folks that you may just be one viral TikTok video away from accountability because they'll post about you, but then they'll also go on LinkedIn, tag you, talk about what a nightmare you were. And, and it, it's really a game changer. But I'm also seeing a lot of an incredible women, executives of color getting in there and really changing the environment for better. And all this stuff was kept in place because of silence. And the more we challenge that, I think the better workplaces are for everybody. That's great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Kim. And for those of you who are listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you drop us a review and tune in next time on the HR Impact Show. I'm CT and I've been your host. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.